Brothers and sisters, hear now the good news. You have been made alive in God. Though you were once far away from God in the darkness of sin and death, he has brought you to himself and has breathed his life into you. He's opened up your heart to know him, and he's given you his only begotten son. And through him, through Jesus, you now have access to the Father in heaven, as you have now become sons and daughters of the Almighty. The Holy Spirit has now been poured into your heart and applying all of the benefits of this new creation to you and is making you a temple of our gracious and loving God. Though you were sinners, you have been accepted into the fellowship of our triune God. And because of his presence in your life, you are made new. So brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. All of God's people say, Amen. Amen. The reading of God's word this morning to us begins in Leviticus chapter 23. Verses 15 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. And you shall count 50 days to the day after the Sabbath, the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to Yahweh. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to Yahweh. Along with the bread, you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect and a bull of the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to Yahweh with their grain offering and their libations, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. You shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs one-year-old for a sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall then wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering with two lambs before Yahweh. They are to be holy to Yahweh for the priest. On the same day, you shall make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It is to be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am Yahweh, your God. We'll turn now to Acts chapter 2 and begin with verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And we'll skip down now to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Now if you would, please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. 
sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let's pray together. Our great God, we thank you for your word and for the spirit. Your son says that the time is coming and now is when those who worship you will worship in spirit and in truth. We thank you this morning that we have the privilege of celebrating the fulfillment of the promise to which the Feast of Weeks looked forward the giving of your word of truth written upon the hearts of men by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that as we worship you this morning, as we do so, that it would be in accordance with the truth of your word and in the power of your spirit for the glory of our Savior Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, it is a joy to be together with you. Um, And this morning we have the joy of studying the Feast of Weeks, as we look at the feasts of Israel and how they point forward to the coming of our Savior, our Lord Jesus. As we think about the Trinity in relation to Christmas and the birth of Jesus, of course we think about the Son of God who has become flesh and tabernacled among us. We think about the Father who sent forth His Son as part of their plan before the creation of the world in order to redeem the world. But we often, as is so often the case, we forget about the third person of our triune God. We forget about the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the birth of Jesus. The good news is uh, the birth of Jesus is not like those birthday parties where you've got the sibling who's over in the corner throwing a temper tantrum because the party isn't all about them. Um, The Holy Spirit is not that way. The Holy Spirit, of course, rejoices in casting the light upon the Son, and in the Son, bringing glory to the Father. And so I pray that as we think about the Feast of Weeks, which is often to us known as the Feast of Pentecost, that that would point us to, one, see the Spirit, but not only see the important role that the Spirit plays in Jesus' birth, but it would cause us with the Spirit to magnify Christ together that the Spirit's role of filling us with joy as we proclaim the glories of Christ would be the, what we take away from God's Word this morning. As I say, we are trying to do uh, this study through the various feasts of Israel, and as we come to the Feast of Weeks, um, this Feast of Weeks is known as Pentecost later on. And um, as we think about the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks then in the New Testament, our mind naturally goes to Acts chapter 2 and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so necessarily we will see how the Feast of Weeks points forward to the fulfillment in Acts 2 in the day of Pentecost. And yet, given that this is a series of Advent messages, we are going to end each section, if you will, thinking about how Jesus' birth, particularly in Luke 1 and 2, is portrayed as a foretaste of Pentecost, the, the, the buds, if you will, on the stalk of the wheat that hadn't come to full ripening yet, and yet in Jesus' birth we see these, these echoes, these preparations of what was going to happen in Acts 2 as the Spirit was poured out upon the church. We're going to do so by looking at three major uh, themes in the Feast of Weeks. One is the law, two is leaven, and three is the lowly. So that'll be our organizing structure. 
we're going to see how the Feast of Weeks was a celebration of God's giving of the law to Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20. And we'll see how the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of that. How the law was not just written on tablets of stone, but was written upon the hearts of men through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We will see how Jesus' life is a foretaste of that or part of the fulfillment of that as he was born of a, of a virgin, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. Second, we're going to see how one of the distinctives to the Feast of Weeks as the celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest was that they were to offer leavened bread. In the other feasts of Israel, they offered unleavened bread, and we'll see some of the reasons why for that. But what was distinctive here was this, this, these two loaves that were filled with leaven. And the question for us is, are we a leavened people? Because that leaven points forward to the Spirit who gives the word and causes the church of Christ and the kingdom of God to expand and grow and fill the whole earth. And we'll see the role that the Spirit plays even in Jesus' birth. Finally, we will look at the lowly. You realize I'm stretching here a bit, right? I had two good L's and I had to come up with a third one. But, uh, um, but this feast is particularly a feast for the poor, a feast in which they were not to, um, to harvest to the very corners of their field but leave the gleaning so that the poor themselves would be able to bring part of their grain harvest and come and feast together with all God's people celebrating the grace that they had received from him and extending that grace to other people. And we'll see how in the day of Pentecost and especially in Jesus' birth, how God is the one who has shown grace to his people by preparing a lavish banquet in the house of bread in Bethlehem for us to come and feast upon his son. So with those three, let's go to Leviticus chapter 23 and we'll start in verse 15 looking at this feast of weeks. Verse 15 says, You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 weeks to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to Yahweh. So one of the things that was unique about the Feast of Weeks was that it didn't have a fixed day on the calendar, like, for example, Passover. So Passover was the 14th day of the first month. But in the case of, uh, of weeks, as the name alludes to, it was based upon seven weeks. Seven weeks after you had first put the, uh, the sheaf to the barley and the celebration of the first fruits, now seven times seven weeks later, so 49 days, on the 50th day is when you would celebrate the Feast of Weeks. So in Hebrew it's Shavuot, it's meaning weeks, or, because it's the 50th, it's sometimes called Pentecost, which simply means the, the 50th, right? And so on the 50th day after Passover and after the Feast of First Fruits, they would celebrate this uh, Feast of Weeks. Now, um, part of the significance of that, and I should say it is not directly here in the text, but as it became clear in the, the practice of this feast in Israel's history, it became a part of retelling the story of redemption and particularly the giving of the law in Exodus 19. If you would, turn over there with me. Exodus chapter 19, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. As we've been seeing from Caleb and Hyde's lessons, these feasts are a way of celebrating and retelling the story of the Exodus. The Passover, of course, is the, the remembrance and celebration of how God redeemed his people out of Egypt through the sacrificial blood of the Lamb. And fast-forwarding to the Feast of Tabernacles, which took place in the seventh month, the Feast of Booths, that was the celebration of how God tabernacled with his people for 40 years in the desert. But as we think about the leaving of Egypt and the tabernacling in the desert, there was an important series of events that took place in the middle, in the third month, as Exodus 19 verse 1 says. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And so as the Feast of Weeks took place in the third month, it was in remembrance of how God had given his law on Mount Sinai. Let's just for a minute enter into the, the scene. Verse 18. Mount Sinai was all in smoke 
because Yahweh descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. As the mountain is all aflame with God's Shekinah glory, and as God is speaking from this this terrifying pillar of fire and cloud, as you hear God's voice like thunder, like trumpet sound, and God speaks to them the ten words, the ten commandments, and the people tremble before him. Now let's flip over to Acts 2. In Acts 2, we come to the fulfillment of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai in the giving of the Spirit to write the law of God on the hearts of men. And we follow a similar story from a Passover, a first fruits, and now the giving of the law through the Spirit. In Luke 23, Jesus, the Passover lamb, was sacrificed. In Luke 24, Jesus, the first fruits from the dead, was raised up on the third day. And for 40 days, he taught the disciples how the law and the prophets all pointed forward to him. And then he ascended on high. And as he did so, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were to receive the power from on high, the promised Holy Spirit, who would make them his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so they waited in Jerusalem in the upper room. And as they did so, Jerusalem was filling up with people because, as chapter 2, verse 1 tells us, it was the feast of Pentecost, the feast of weeks, in which the people were to make a pilgrimage with their families and come and celebrate the first fruits of the wheat harvest. But God had a greater harvest to come. Acts 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Do you see here the echoes in the giving of the Spirit of what took place in the giving of the law in Exodus 19. There the mountain was aflame with the glory of God, and God's voice spoke in thunder. And now here on the day of Pentecost, in the upper room, tongues as of fire from God come and rest, not upon a mountain, but upon God's people. And he fills them with his spirit, and they are his mouthpieces proclaiming the mighty acts of God. Now, how did the people react in the book of Exodus. Well, at first they said, this is a terrifying voice. Moses, you intercede for us. You go up. You receive, as he did, the Ten Commandments, the two tablets written by the finger of God and brought them down to the people. And in Exodus 24, the people said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. But did they do it? (laughs) Of course not. As Moses went back up on the mountain in Exodus 25 through 31, the people were down below making a golden calf. And as Moses is up there, having received the instructions for this tabernacle, the shadow of God's heavenly throne room coming to dwell with his people, he hears the sin of the people, their idolatry, their debauchery. And as he comes down, he takes the Ten Commandments and he throws them to the ground and they're shattered in pieces. A picture of the depravity of man breaking covenant and unable to keep the law of God. And in that day, 3,000 men died. What happens when the Spirit comes upon the church? As they hear the preaching of Peter in the power of the Spirit, that they were guilty of breaking God's law and in particular of killing the Messiah, but that God had raised him up and made him Lord and Christ, declaring this in his resurrection and ascension. The people cried out in verse 37, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said in Acts 2.38, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because of their sins, they were guilty, guilty and worthy of death. 
But if they were to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, they would receive the forgiveness of sins and they too would receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 41, then those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Do you see the contrast between Exodus and Pentecost? When the law was given, the people rebelled, the people built their idol, and 3,000 souls died. The law led to death because they were unable to keep it. But in this giving of the, the Spirit and the power of the new covenant, as Ezekiel 36 said, he was going to remove the hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh and write his law upon their hearts that they would keep it. And now instead of 3,000 souls dying, 3,000 souls were saved. The Spirit filled their hearts and gave them a new desire to obey, keep God's law. How wonderful it is to be a part of the new covenant in which we have the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and God's law that has been written by his grace upon our hearts in order that we might keep it. Now let's think about how Jesus is the preparation for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 2. Perhaps a detail of Jesus' birth narrative that we don't spend a lot of time thinking. What happened immediately after his birth? In Luke 2 and verse 21, when eight days were completed for his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Do you notice how three times it repeats this phrase in verse 22? According to the law of Moses, in verse 23, as it was written in the law of the Lord, in verse 24, according to what was said in the law of the Lord. Do we get the sense that Jesus' parents in faith and obedience to the law of the Lord were having him circumcised, were having the laws of cleansing practiced, and from Jesus' birth, through all of his life, through his death, Jesus committed no sin, no sinful thought, no sinful desire, no sinful action, no sinful word. As Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Part of what we celebrate in Jesus' incarnation was that he came and fulfilled the law that we were unable to keep. Israel was not the only ones who had taken God's law and broken it into pieces. James 2 says that if we have kept the whole law, but we have sinned in one place, we have broken all of it. All of us are covenant breakers, law breakers, and because of that, we deserve to be separated from God forever in hell. None of us, by perfectly obeying God's commands, would ever be good enough the law in and of itself brings death. What we need is one who has come from heaven, born of a woman, born under the law, to perfectly obey that law from beginning to end and to die on the cross for lawbreakers like me and for you. Taking the curse of the law, which is death, upon himself. And as Christ has done that, as he has fulfilled the law, God has justified him, declared him, raised him up from the dead, and declared that in himself he is innocent and perfect, and that for all who have faith in him, we too are declared just, right, law keepers in God's eyes. And not only that, Jesus was not only resurrected, but he ascended on high. He poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost so that that law might be written upon our hearts so that the righteousness of God would be fulfilled in us who in the power of the Spirit obey his law 
We can't do it ourselves. Christ has done it for us, and by his spirit, he fulfills it through us. And so as, first of all, those who are hearing this message, have you, like Peter said in Acts 2.38, have you repented of your sins and be baptized in the name of Christ? If you have not, this is where it begins, not with trying to clean up your life and try to be just a little better at law-keeping, but first of all, recognizing your sin before God, repenting of it, and crying out that in faith He would forgive you of your sins and that He would give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to give you the desire to do those things that in and of yourselves and our, ourselves we cannot do. Repent and trust in Christ. And if by God's grace you have repented and trusted in him, we have the promise that the Holy Spirit has been poured out into us to write that law upon our hearts. And so how much more ought we to obey him with joy, with assurance that he has written that law upon our hearts? Is there some area of continual sin in your life that you feel like you have no victory over? Take confidence, Christian, that that law of God has been written on your heart and in the power of the Spirit, you can and must say no to that sin and follow hard after Christ. This is one of the great gifts of Jesus' incarnation, the Spirit writing his law on our hearts. Second, the Feast of Weeks is distinguished by the leaven. If you would turn with me back to Leviticus 23. As you can see in your outline, our pattern will be Leviticus, Acts, Luke, Leviticus, Acts, Luke. So <laughs> we're in round two of Leviticus, and we're going to go to verse 17 now. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to Yahweh. The three major... Uh, harvest festivals, if you will, of, of Israel, were what's sometimes called the Feast of First Fruits, which itself was a celebration of the first fruits of the barley harvest. Next is the Feast of Weeks, which is the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And then in the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, we celebrate the, the best of all, the, uh, the grapes and the, the wine coming in. And in each case, you know, we, we don't live in an agrarian society, right? So you can go to the grocery store and you can, uh, you can, you can get your food pretty much whatever you want, whenever you want and, uh, in the way that food is manufactured today. But in those days, it wasn't like that, right? You had to, uh, you had to wait. There, there wasn't refrigeration or there wasn't uh, preservatives that you're putting in your food. And so you've, you've waited all year for these first fruits to come. And when they do, there's great joy. Um, probably the closest thing in my life I can compare that to is back when we lived in Wyoming. Um, it was a good drive to get to the grocery store, and so we would go about every two weeks. And man, that grocery day was a good day. You know, mom would come home just as mothers do. And I'm probably, you know, not helping, as unfortunately sons often don't. Um, and anyway, she's loaded down with the bags of groceries and sits them down. And we are just vultures, my, myself and my siblings, as we come in and you, you pick for, you know, the very best of the first fruits, right? And selfishly, we, uh, we, we devoured them um, within the first day. And then you live the next two weeks off of rice and beans, waiting for the next day of first fruits when mom comes home from the grocery store. Um, well, it wasn't exactly like that, but more or less, you get the idea. Um, so imagine the joy of these first fruits. But what do you do with your first fruits? Well, God says, you give them to me because I gave you, I gave them to you, and these are a foretaste of the full harvest that is to come. Jesus is our first fruits. He has been raised up from the dead as the first fruits that all of us are going to be raised up with him. And even in him right now, as he has ascended on high, we, we, we are raised up with him. And so each of these harvests, uh, harvest festivals in a way, pointed forward to this idea of first fruits. What was distinctive about the Feast of Weeks in this was that they were to offer two leavened loaves. In the other, in the other festivals, they were not allowed to do that. And so what we need to think about is the significance of, of leaven in the Bible. Leaven is a, a picture of growth. And growth can be bad or growth can be good. When we're talking about 
sin, sin is like leaven, in that it, one sin leads to another sin, leads to another sin. One lie leads to another lie, leads to another lie. Sin, if left unchecked, if left unrepented of, will grow in our lives. It isn't stagnant. As John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Sin will expand and fill your life like leaven until it destroys you. And for that reason, in the other feasts, and particularly the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the nation of Israel was to remember how when they were in Egypt, they were leavened. They let the idols of the Egyptians fill their homes. And so every year before the Passover, they were to remove the leaven from their homes, the old leaven, as a way of remembering that they are not to let the the world infiltrate their homes and their hearts. And they were to celebrate with unleavened bread before God in the same way that Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees in Luke 12, 1, which is hypocrisy. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, in verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let's celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Having been saved out of the world, a world that is full of sin, full of hypocrisy, full of malice and insincerity, And now in Christ, we are unleavened. In the eyes of God, we have been forgiven. All of that sin has been removed from us in Christ. And at the same time, as Christians, we are not to go back and act as if we are leavened. That speaks to us as individuals, and that speaks to us as a church. In the context of 1 Corinthians 5, it's speaking in the context of church discipline and the need when there is unrepentant sin that that person whose sin will grow and affect, contaminate the whole body of Christ like leaven in a lump of dough must be removed. And for us as individuals, we need to be constantly bringing ourselves before the word of God, recognizing where there are the influences of the world, the influences of our past sin that we're allowing to continue to, to germinate. And what's going to happen? If we become comfortable with our sin, it will continue to grow and expand and destroy us. Now, if you are in unrepentant sin as a Christian, this is God's warning. Repent of that sin. Remove it from your life by His grace because it does not remain stagnant. You might think that you have it hidden away here in some secret corner of your life and from all appearances you're doing well. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. God does not accept a double life. Cast out the old leaven and by his grace be a pure, clean lump as we in fact are in Christ. And at the same time, the Feast of Weeks was not about unleavened bread, so you got two for the price of one there. We got a little bit covered. There was leaven. So what about leaven then? If leaven is a picture of sin, well, it's not a picture of sin. It's a picture of growth. And growth can also be good. Turn with me to Luke 13. Two well-known parables about the kingdom. Luke 13 and beginning in verse 18. Therefore he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree. The birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal, and it was all leavened. So we see here in the parable of the mustard seed, in the parable of the leaven, a principle of the kingdom that the kingdom is going to begin small, like a mustard seed, like a little bit of leaven. It's going to begin with the God-man nailed to the cross, rejected by men, judged by God, and it looks as if all is lost. But what begins as seemingly so small is going to grow like a mustard seed into a mighty tree in which the nations are going to come, the birds are going to come, and they're going to nest in its branches. 
like a little bit of leaven that's going to grow and grow and grow and fill the whole lump of dough. As Jesus says in John 12, like a grain of wheat that's going to be buried in the ground. And as it is buried, it's going to bear much fruit. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 2. We see the fulfillment and are living right now the fulfillment of that promise, of what the kingdom will be like, of an abundant harvest. Again, in Acts 2, 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. As we fast forward to chapter 4 and verse 4, we see that the number of men who had been saved grew to 5,000. As we move ahead to chapter 12 and verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. In chapter 19 and verse 20, the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily. What we are seeing is that when the leaven of the Holy Spirit fills the church, that begins small with 120 in an upper room, but just like that, the leaven starts to expand and now there is 3,000 souls, 5,000 souls, and soon a great multitude as the gospel goes forth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth as there are now millions, billions by God's grace who over time have experienced the power of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit who has come like leaven into our lives and has made us a part of this abundant harvest of God. It is an amazing thing to see how God's kingdom in Christ has expanded and continues to expand in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's think for a minute about how Jesus' birth is something of a, of a foretaste or a foreshadowing of Pentecost. If you would turn back with me to Luke chapter 1. As you know, the Lord used Luke to write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Volume 1 and volume 2. Luke is what Jesus began to do and to teach. Acts is what Jesus continues to do and to teach in the power of the Spirit. And he has intentionally organized the material that he has dutifully studied in order to put particular emphasis on how Jesus' birth in Luke 1 and 2 is a foretaste or foreshadowing of what was going to happen in Acts 1 and 2. And I particularly want to take a look at the coming of the Spirit. So again, I ask the question as at the introduction, if you were asked, what role does the Spirit play in the Christmas story? We think about the Father, we think about the Son, but what about the Spirit? Well, what Luke tells us is, first of all, probably most importantly, in Luke 1, in verse 40, 35, the angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. As I hope we, we all know, and little children, um, who is Jesus' father? It's not Joseph, right? God is his father. And so how was Jesus born if it wasn't through, through Joseph as a father with Mary? It was by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and Jesus was conceived. And so the Spirit was used to bring the Son into the world, to bring about our salvation and a new creation. So first, the Spirit in Jesus' conception. But also all the people who were around Jesus' birth. We see in Luke being filled with the Spirit. In Luke 1, verse 15, in the announcement of the angel to Zechariah that he was going to have a son, verse 15 says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So the forerunner to Jesus, the one who would proclaim his coming, was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And we see some of the fruit of that, evidence of that, in Luke 1, 41. It came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. And as John came near, in, in utero, came near to Jesus in Mary's womb, what was his reaction? He leaped for joy. One of the great fruits of the Spirit is joy. Are you experiencing joy in your life right now? Where do we find that joy? That joy, true joy, comes from the Spirit of God as we draw near to Christ. And that causes us to leap for joy. It was not only John, it was not only Elizabeth, but also John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. In Luke 1, in verse 67, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he, had visited, he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Now think about this. For 400 years, God has been silent. Since the prophet Malachi, there haven't been prophets in Israel. But now God, in this pre-Pentecost, is pouring out of his Holy Spirit upon Elizabeth, upon Zechariah. And what does the Spirit bring? The Spirit brings joy, and the Spirit brings proclamation of praise to God, of the Benedictus, of blessing to God for his faithfulness to his covenant promises in sending forth the Messiah. When we are filled with the Spirit, we cannot help but talk about Jesus. We cannot help but overflow in praises to God for his faithfulness and love to us, and particularly in sending forth his Son. Finally, in Luke 2, We've seen in verses 21 through 24 how Mary and Joseph came to present Jesus in fulfillment of the law at the, at the temple. And we read in verse, chapter 2, verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Do you see how Simeon, too, is part of this pre-Pentecost? How he's filled with the Spirit and how he cannot help but rejoice and praise God and proclaim how God has fulfilled his promises given in Isaiah that a light of revelation was going to come to the Gentiles, the glory of his people Israel, that God's salvation had come in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And people were hearing the wonderful things that were being said about God, being said about the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in, in the days of the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks, in which the leaven has been placed into our heart, in which we have the same Spirit that was in Simeon, that was in John the Baptist, who should cause us as we draw near to Christ to overflow with joy, to leap for how great our Savior is and should cause us to proclaim to the people around us how great is our God for sending His Son to be our Redeemer. As we think about this time of year that for many is a time of sadness, is a time of remembering those that they have lost or feeling isolated and alone, remember that if you are a believer in Christ, you are not alone. As Hyde was telling us last week, Emmanuel is with us. In Matthew 1, he said that the name to be given to the baby will be Emmanuel, God with us. The only time that we find that name given is in Matthew 28, 20, the last verse of Matthew in which Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is he with us? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus poured into our heart to fill us with joy and to fill us with praise to him. And so as we think about this, this coming year or this, this coming Christmas. Think about this specific person or persons to whom the Holy Spirit is prompting you to share the good news of Christ with them. 
What better way than to share the joy of the Savior and the power of the Spirit? We have seen that the Feast of Weeks points us forward to the giving of the law and the fulfillment of that law being poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. Second, we have seen the leaven, the leaven of the Spirit who causes the kingdom and causes the church to grow and expand as he fills us. And finally, this is a feast for the lowly. If you would, turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 16. In Deuteronomy 16, we find further instruction about this feast And who is to be a part of it? Deuteronomy 16, and beginning in verse 10. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to Yahweh your God with a tribute of a free will offering of your hand, which you shall give just as Yahweh your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before Yahweh your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male and female servants, the Levite who is in your town, and the stranger, the orphan, the widow who are in your midst, in the place where Yahweh your God chooses to establish his name. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. You shall be careful to observe these statutes. Do you notice who is to be a part of the feast? It's everyone. Your son, your daughter, your male, your female servants, the Levite, the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the lowly. And why? Because verse 12, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Part of how each of these feasts was to work was in some ways to remember the grace that they had received, particularly in God saving them out of Egypt, and they were to extend that grace to all of the people. This was not just in the feasts, but in the very rhythm of the Sabbath. So think about this for a minute. Uh, it's a, perhaps a little hard for us in, uh, uh, in the blessing that we have to, to work five days or six days a week and to have weekends. When you are a slave in Egypt, you don't get vacation days. There's no paid time off. There's no weekend for you. You are a slave every day of your life, and there is no rest. But God in his mercy comes to this nation of slaves, and he draws them out to be his slaves and his servants, and he says, here's what you must do as a sign of my covenant. you got to rest. <laughs> you got to trust me and worship me. And hey, you get one vacation day in seven. Isn't that a blessing to have a God who knows our weakness and gives us rest? And that rest, that grace that God gave to his people was to be baked into all of their calendar. So as they not only had one day of rest in seven, but in the, um, in the years that God gave to them, if a person had a debt that they could not pay and had to go into indentured servitude or slavery to a fellow Israelite, they could do so for up to seven years. But on the seventh year, the forgiveness of those debts they were set free as a remembrance of what God had done in showing grace to his people. And after seven times, seven years, if you had had to sell the inheritance, the land that God had given to you, but in that 50th year in the Jubilee, there was to be the returning of the land to their original property owners, again, in remembrance of how what they had was not their own. They were slaves, but God in his grace had given them rest, had given them this land, and so it was to be returned to their owners. And now in the Feast of Weeks, what we have is a seven times seven weeks. And so again, we have in, the, in our mind, this is a feast for the poor. This is a feast for those that were slaves that have received grace, who then show grace to other people. How was that grace to be extended? Well, as we read in Leviticus 23 and verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest, you are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am Yahweh, your God. We see here the grace and the wisdom of God in caring for the lowly, the needy, the poor. That God had given to his people the land and caused the wheat to grow, but they, in recognition of that grace, were not to be miserly and take every last grain for themselves, but rather they were to pass through it only once and leave the rest for the poor and the needy to come and to take a harvest themselves. You see both the grace in the giving to them and also the wisdom in that it's not simply a handout. 
They also have the, the honor and the joy of doing hard work themselves and coming in and being a part of that harvest. And then not only taking the gleanings, but then bringing them to Jerusalem and offering them to God and feasting with all of God's people, the rich, the poor, the young, and the old, men and women together saying, we were poor slaves, but by the grace of God, here we are to feast with our Creator and our Redeemer. Now let's think about how that is fulfilled in the day of Pentecost. What did they do after 3,000 souls were saved? In verse 42, Acts 2, 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. One of the first things that they did as God's now saved people was they feasted together. They broke bread together in the Lord's Supper. And from house to house, they broke bread. And what about the people who didn't have a house? Well, the people were giving away their things, were selling their things so that there was no person in need. What a glorious picture of how the Spirit transforms people by His grace to be people of grace. The generosity of God overflows in generosity to the poor and needy, especially to our fellow brothers and sisters of Christ in need. And it's particularly the grace of a table in which we are invited to come and feast together on the grace that we have received. Now, let's conclude by seeing how that is echoed or prepared for us, the table is set for us in Jesus' birth. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. In the announcement of the angel to the shepherds of Jesus' birth, Luke 2 and beginning in verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened and the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough. Here's the announcement. First, it's an announcement of good news, of great joy the joy of salvation, the joy of forgiveness of sins in Luke, and the, the joy of the Holy Spirit. And this announcement of good news, of great joy, is for all the people. Why? For today, in the city of David, is born for you a Savior. What was that city of David? It was Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Let's think about Bethlehem for just a second. We're introduced to Bethlehem in the book of Ruth. In a time in the period of Judges when the nation of Israel was steeped in sin. And a man and his wife, Naomi, rather than submit themselves to God's discipline, ran from the house of bread into the land of Moab. And there he and his sons died. And they had taken two Moabite wives. His sons had taken those wives. And one was to return to her people. But Ruth, a Gentile, said, as Naomi had heard that God in his mercy had visited Bethlehem again, that a harvest was coming in Bethlehem, and she wanted to return there. And she said to her two daughters-in-law to stay. But Ruth said, my, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She is a picture of the church, of Gentiles who have been come and be a part of the one people of God, Jew and Gentile. And so as she returns with 
Naomi, whose name means bitter, she quickly finds that God is going to turn this bitterness into great joy. She does so, the Lord does so, through Boaz, through a kinsman redeemer who is fulfilling what Leviticus 23, 22 said. I do want to say that the book of Ruth is about the barley harvest, not the wheat harvest, but track with me. Okay, so he prepares the gleaning for the poor, right? He gives it to Ruth, and she she harvests, she comes home, and Naomi says, where, where did you get all of this? Well, there was this generous man, Boaz, and they concoct a plan, and, um, but it is not their scheming. It is the covenant love of God, the chesed, covenant faithfulness of God, who so moves Boaz to himself, show covenant love to Naomi, to her husband, and he extends his wings over her. He takes her, to be his bride as a kinsman redeemer, and they have a child, Obed, to raise up this line in Israel. And this this feast that was prepared for the poor is more than just a picture of, of a merciful man. It is a picture of God's covenant love for his people in the midst of their sinful cycle of, of, of rejecting him in the time of the judges. To raise up from Boaz and Ruth, Obed, who would be the father of Jesse, the father of King David. And so this story of Ruth is about so much more than just mercy to one poor Moabite woman and her mother-in-law. This is the story of God's covenant love to build his church of Jews and Gentiles to make them one people by his mercy, giving to us poor Gentiles the gleanings to come in and to take the harvest. And that harvest was going to come in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, of the one who was born of the line of David, who is our Savior, Christ Jesus, who himself has has given of himself to be the bread by which we might eat and in him find life. And so as we come back to Luke 2 and verse 12, this was the sign for you, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough where the animals come and eat. And what Luke is telling us is come to Jesus. See this one who was laid in the feeding trough for you that you might in faith eat of him and find life. As poor and unworthy as all of us are, God in his great mercy has sent forth his son to be the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks in all of these wonderful ways. He has sent him forth so that we might, as the poor, come and feast upon Christ. And as we have received of the feast of Christ, that we might extend that grace to other people as well. That we might show that by who do we invite to our own tables to come eat with us? Do we really find it a greater blessing to give than to receive? The mark that we have that we understand the grace that we have received is that we extend that grace to others. The Feast of Weeks was for everyone, including for the lowly. This feast was about the leaven, the leaven of the Holy Spirit coming and filling his church and expanding that church to the ends of the earth. Are we a leavened church? Is the Spirit filling our lives or are our minds so filled with the things of the world? and with our past sins that will, if left unchecked, continue to grow? Or are we repentant of those things? And are we filling our minds with the Spirit and the Word so that we might be filled with joy as we draw nearer and nearer to Jesus? And finally, this was a celebration of the giving of the law. Are we overflowing with gratitude for Christ who has fulfilled the law for us and who has written the law upon our hearts? so that by his grace we might obey him. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior, we thank you. We thank you that you have sent forth your son, like that grain of wheat that was buried and has risen up, who is the first fruits, and in him we know that we too will be raised up. We thank you that we are a part of the abundant harvest that you have prepared through the pouring out of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you have in Christ, leavened us. And so we pray that we would be a leavened people filled with joy and overflowing with praise to you and in the proclamation of the good news of Christ to lost people around us. 
And we pray especially that we would be a people who are, in your grace, overflowing in generosity to people as poor and needy as we are spiritually before you. Help us, we pray, to be a leavened people filled with the Spirit for the glory of our incarnate Savior, Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.